Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Almost live from the trenches of New York City, here are your middle-aged warriors, Chris Cimino and Rick Summers. And welcome again to another edition of Middle-Aged Warriors. And you've got a new kid in town. Yeah, warned and weathered, but I decided to have a baby uh, in between. <laughs> well, I didn't, and neither did uh, my girlfriend, Edmie. But uh, yeah, we have a puppy. We have a new puppy here. Um, goes by the name of Tula. And she's a little dachshund, because I'm sort of partial to dachshunds after my Sir Charles. But uh, right. we've got a cat in the house as well. So I'm sitting here during this podcast. If you hear squeaks and meows, that's from either one of them, because they're, they're sort of trying to get to know each other. And where did you get the name Tula? Well, there was a, for some reason, I don't know why in conversation we were looking at different names and something had come up about, speaking of. There you go. <laughs> we heard you, you made your debut. Uh, anyway, it had to do with, it was, it was the name of, uh, part of the, the name of the tour when we went on safari actually in South Africa. And I don't know why Tula just stuck and we were like, oh, Tula. And we kept going back after all the other names, back to Tula. Tula. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to daddyhood. Uh, and this is hopefully this is not what every podcast will include. Um, but anyway, she is here. It's exciting. It's funny. I forgot how puppies bounce around and just want to have fun all the time. So it's fun. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so how have you been, Zeke? Yeah, I've been doing okay. Um, you know, it's hard to believe Thanksgiving is far behind us. The city seems somewhat deadened. Um, we were at uh, our favorite restaurant last night and poor Daniele, who owns the restaurant and is our friend, um, said business has been really, really slow since Thanksgiving. So a week later. Um, and the city, you know, the Christmas tree lighting at Rock Center was the other night, but it was kind of a non-event. And I don't know, everything seems like it's a non-event right now, except your new kid. Yeah, exactly. But but it's funny because yesterday I did happen to go into the city and for the first time, I mean, I've been in and out every now and then. I, I don't go in a lot for any reason because there's nothing much going on. But it hit me yesterday a little bit more in my heart that I felt very sad. I felt like I was looking at a, a, a very sick friend or, or, you know, yeah. or a sick family member. It had that feel to it. it just, I, as I drove out, I was like, I, I, I hurt. I feel pain for for this this city. Absolutely. It became if a you, living thing, you know? If you spend any time in Times Square or the theater district, yeah. it's just it's just heartbreaking. And I know that we've kind of gotten used to it, but I don't think you ever totally become accepting of it. So Well, it's just yeah. that this, you know, this thing will leave eventually. But you know, now coming back with this with this stronger second wave. It's like, you know, again, the, the guest or the uninvited guest that wouldn't leave type of thing. Yeah. And it, it's just exhausting because this thing is a marathon to get through. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And to get through a, an illness that has such an impact on all of us in a, in a long term is a very, very difficult thing for our society. We, we are not conditioned. <laughs> We're too soft, quite frankly. I, that's me, at least personally saying it, but I see it amongst everybody. We're pretty soft. I mean, you think about generations that went through world wars. Right. That's pretty awful, too. Uh, and we're acting like this is the end of the world, and it's been about, you know, nine months. And it's tough, and it, and it has been hard on a lot of people. But I still have in my head and, and do believe 
we will one day get beyond this and look back and go, wow, remember that? Remember when we couldn't do this, this, and this? And, and maybe we'll finally really appreciate all of those things that we were doing before that we took for granted. That's all we can hope. But speaking of which, as we go into this show today, uh, our guest, you know, this pandemic has had tremendous, besides the obviously physical impact and the health uh, impact on, on a nation and a world, it's had a tremendous economic impact and the real estate markets, all of these have been hit very hard in different ways. There's another lockdown that is perhaps imminent in some parts of the country and the world. It's already taken place. I guess the question is, will we do anything different having learned from the last time, you know, the impact it had on the economy? And our guest today, I think is going to speak to some of those topics and more, but something lighter than that as well. But I think it's important to hear from somebody who has, uh, you know, the, the background and the knowledge about how all of this works, because I don't know about you, Rick, but, you know, me and economics, yeah. <laughs> I'm clueless. Yeah. <laughs> this little puppy I'm holding in my hand probably knows more than I do. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so let's go to our guest and, uh, and have a listen to uh, Mitch Rochelle. All right, time to say hello to our special guest today, a finance, real estate guru and analyst, often a guest on Fox Business and Fox News, just to name a few places. A longtime partner, now retired from a big four firm. Oh, he's got a long list here, Rick, which, by the way, being a retired guy from a big four firm, that officially makes you a middle-aged warrior. And his latest endeavor is co-hosting a podcast called NOPO with Vera Gibbons, my friend for over 35 years. Welcome, Mitch Rochelle, to Mitch. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So I, I definitely think I qualify as middle-aged, uh, although the word middle is frightening to me because um, I don't know when it started, and I don't want to find out when it ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody really ever talks about the back end of middle age and what no called after that, just aged? I, I think it has something to do with clothing. Like when you wear your pants way too high, like they're pulled up way too high, I think yeah. that's when you're no longer in the middle age category. When, you're, when your belt is chafing your nipples, that's a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> or the midlife crisis card that you bought no longer works. Mm. Like, like that's the... You're laughed out of it. Okay, I get yeah. it. But uh, I mean, you've had a, an amazing career since obviously when I first knew you, you started at, I guess it was Chase? Uh, yep. With my yeah, wife? So, yeah. What year was yeah. that? So we graduated uh, the same year, 1983. I think, Chris, you graduated the same year, too. Yep. Uh, and I started at Chase uh, with Nancy. We worked there for like a year and a half. And then I left and left, went to the accounting firm that I was at for 36 years. Wow. Oh, oh. I didn't realize it, that that's the same company from when you left Chase. Same company, yeah. It's crazy. And it, it's, it's interesting because our generation has a different view of, I was going to use the word loyalty, but maybe that's not the right word, but just sticking with something through good and bad. Um, how many years, Chris, were you at WNBC? That was 24, which right. in the television so, world is a long time. Right. And we had a guest on our podcast last week, guy named Mike Adams, who retired from the NFL after 16 seasons, an undrafted player, went to University of Delaware. But the reason why I mention that is you talk about things that don't normally happen, like our career longevity, 16 years in the NFL is unbelievable. I want to ask you, uh, Mitch, tell us about your podcast, because it sounds fascinating and the timing of it. We have J-Lo, we have Soho, and now... <laughs> 
Nopo. We have Nopo. Uh, so w- one of my partners in the podcast, Vera Gibbons, who Chris mentioned, created a newsletter four years ago called Nopo, standing for non-political news. And the premise of the newsletter was something that showed up in your inbox if you subscribe to it. And she had about 5,000 subscribers at seven something in the morning. And it was something to read in the morning that was completely non-political. So the stories in there, she just curated basically, I'll call it a playlist of stories that had nothing to do with politics. Uh, you know, One of the stories that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, was Walmart uh, released its annual Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, log for the fireplace for the holidays. Right? <laughs> it's just like silly, st- silly stories that are news items, uh, but they're just not political. And that's what that's we turned it into a podcast. Can I tell you something funny? I used to do morning radio and for show prep and all radio shows were doing this. Everybody relied on USA Today because yes. it was so generic. And it was so unoffensive that that was what we did. So when your alarm went off at seven in the morning, we were featuring a lot of stories like that. And, and Rick, you're spot on. And what's interesting is even the USA Todays of this world have gotten political because they're covering the world of politics and they're doing it, you know, in a, um, in a charged fashion. And so we decided to just sort of take the two-dimensional version of the NOPO newsletter and turn it into three-dimensional. And then we decided to bring in guests. The, the true story of how it got created, Vera and I were talking uh, on the phone back and forth and we never really ever finished the conversation because one of us would get interrupted. And I was driving to uh, Michigan from New York where I live to drop off a car uh, for my son who's a student at University of Michigan. And I had 10 hours in the car and it was the greatest time to just do a bunch of things. So I was listening to podcasts to pass the time and I was returning calls. And one of the calls was Vera. And I said to her, I think I got it. I think I have the solution to what you're trying to do with NOPO and a project that I think I now have time for because I'm in retirement. Let's turn it into a podcast. But to have a wrinkle to it, we did sort of what you guys do, which is every week we have a different guest that has been somebody we've known in some way, shape or form. So you don't have the awkwardness of getting to know the guests because we can jump in quickly on a short podcast. And sometimes we talk to the guests about the stories that are in the news that we get their take on them. Sometimes as we did with you, Chris, a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes we just talk to them about whatever it is they're dying to plug. Uh, sometimes we just, we talk about absolute nonsense. <laughs> Well, but, uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about, let's see, uh, bacon scented masks. Yep. What else? And also the relationships, the, the speed relationships during this pandemic and people right. accelerating from just dating to engagement and getting married, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I have yeah. to say, I mean, this is really, you know, it's like a, a offering a new flavor when we have been saturated with the same flavor for the last four years plus in terms of the political news overload and everybody goes to that. So I think this is really kind of a refreshing change. And I think if more people hear about your podcast and know about it, they're, going to, they're definitely going to be wanting to give it a listen. If, if for anything else, just some levity, a lighter moment, taking a little bit of that weight off, because I think we're all weighted down, anxiety riddled, et cetera, et cetera, right now. So a show like that, I mean, to me, is a great deflection from having to think about all those things all the time. Now, speaking of, now I'm going to turn it around on you because 
let's talk a little bit of, well, we'll call it pseudo politics. Now, uh, over the years, you're a finance guy, and then real estate sort of became your yep. expertise, correct? Yeah, correct. So, so where are we at this point in, the, in terms of the impact that all that has gone on between politically and obviously with the pandemic in terms of the real estate market? Is this a time to sell, buy, hold on to? What are we looking for? What should we be doing? A couple of quick responses. If There's no question we've gone through a recession which was caused by um, artificially shutting down the economy. And I say artificially, not politically. I mean, it, it wasn't some other predicate that caused the recession. We intentionally uh, basically brought our economy to a grinding halt, not just in the United States, but around the world. Normally, when you look at recessions, real estate takes it in the chin. That's for a couple of reasons. One of the big reasons is if you look at the last several recessions that we've had, many of them have been caused by real estate. The most recent one, the financial crisis, was caused by real estate. So in this recession, real estate is doing amazingly well. And that's the strange thing about this recession versus others. Well, what's interesting is we're now, I think we're uh, two months into NOPO, uh, which is you know 30 minutes a week of a safe place uh, to not talk about politics. The rest of the week, unfortunately, I find myself talking about politics, whether it be uh, on Fox News Channel, Fox Business, Newsmax, some of the other places that I go, I find myself sucked into the political vortex. So at least I have a safe space mm -hmm. for 30 minutes a week. And we, that's what we also try to provide for our listeners. Yeah, that's sort of like your moment to take the uh, cigar and the brandy snifter somewhere <laughs> in your moment. Yeah, ex exactly. Uh, but but the, only, the closest that, thing I have... The closest thing I have to brandy <laughs> is Purell right that here. That looks great. Uh, I, would, I would say put that on the rocks. You want to dilute it because it's, uh, when it's neat, it's not so great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the, the other question, you know, to get back to politics and, and present, some of the appointments so far, uh, let's say in the Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen, how do you feel about that? Where do you think that's going to lead us as a country? Is this a good fit? for where we're heading? Janet Yellen's no stranger to post-recessionary recoveries, right? So she was the, she was the Fed chairwoman uh, after Ben Bernanke, and she sort of inherited the ramp up post-global financial crisis. Um, and she's a lifelong Fed person. She was been on the uh, Board of Governors of the Fed. She was a Fed president. She's an academic. Uh, so this is a good application for somebody like that. I also think she, by and large, is apolitical. She was critical of uh, Trump's tax cuts, but aside from that, she's really stayed out of the political fray. So I think as it relates to Vice President-slash-President-elect Biden's uh, cabinet picks, uh, she's probably the least political of all of them. To go back to what you had said before, which is kind of an interesting way of also framing it, sort of uh, calling it a, a pseudo-self-imposed type recession. So your thoughts, obviously now the virus seems to be ramping up again. There's, there's talk of locking down certain areas, certain cities. Uh, what do you think in terms of the perspective of there being lockdowns and, and what we learned from the impact economically the first time around? What do you think is going to be done differently this time? I don't think much different. When you shut down, there's, let's put it this way, there's two sides to the economy. There's the supply side of the economy. Um, which is all of the businesses that would be shut down, okay? Then there's the demand side of the economy, and that's uh, government, business, and consumers' propensity to spend. Mm -hmm. And if you shut down the supply side of the economy, it doesn't make a difference how much propensity there is to spend. There's no place to spend it. 
And that's what we saw. We, we jammed as much through the Amazon pipe as we possibly could when we were locked down because there was nothing else to do. Uh, there were lines outside of supermarkets. There was no toilet paper to be found. That's what happens when you have a consumer that has a propensity to spend and nothing to spend it on. Um, but the fallout is if we shut down the supply side of the economy and, the, and if the government makes a decision to shut down that side of the economy, then the government should have some obligation to support that side of the economy uh, on the other side. And that's just my sort of ethical way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. And right now we're not providing any relief to those businesses. If you're a restaurant and you, you barely made ends meet operating at full capacity, okay? Then we made it 25% capacity. Then we made it 50% capacity. And now we're gonna knock it down to 25% capacity again. If you survive this long, you're literally at the end of your rope. And so what I worry about is the last two weeks worth of unemployment data getting progressively worse. I do worry about the number of um, test positives that are getting worse. I, get, I worry about the number of people in hospitals that are getting worse. But 99.9% um, recovery rate for many of those people just seems like uh, and maybe this is political, maybe this isn't, just looking at it objectively, seems like shutting down the economy for something that has a 99.9% .9 survival rate just seems pretty extreme. There's got to be a better way. And this is something I said on, I think I said it on Fox News last Friday. The easiest answer if you're a bureaucrat is no. The right. easiest answer if you're a parent is no. <laughs> I used to say when I had toddler twins and a puppy in my house at the same time. I just wanted to play the word no over and over again over the loudspeaker in my house because it applied to everybody. Um, but no is really, really easy. Yes is really, really hard. And I just think that bureaucrats, elected officials, whatever, have to work hard in a time like this to figure out a yes, because no just isn't the right answer. Like California, the weather's beautiful and they're locking down restaurants. It doesn't make sense to me. I think that was once a country song that said, what part of no don't you understand? Mm. Or here's a quarter, call someone who cares. Uh, but <laughs> I'm glad you brought up your, your sons. Uh, how old are they now? And uh, how are they? And what's it like being a dad of kids uh, getting ready to jump into their reality in the world after college? Well, I have 20-year-old twin boys. Um, one is upstairs uh, studying for finals. Uh, he's at uh, Syracuse University. Okay. And my other son is at University of Michigan, and he still has classes and uh, has finals um, after that. Uh, he, unfortunately, tested positive uh, a little over two weeks ago or something like that. Uh, and he is still sort of slowly recovering. I think he's through the worst of it, but what, what lingers is exhaustion. And uh, he's struggling through staying current on schoolwork and exhaustion. Uh, I was texting him moments ago. So the question is, what's it like? Uh, I, I, interestingly enough, I find it more stressful to be a parent of almost grownups than it was to be a parent of kids. Um, and, and and for you though, and, and you know, I have now I have a 26 and a 31 uh, year old. But uh, for you, what 
it's interesting to hear you say that because I often feel that way as well. And I have a reason in my head as to why, but what's your thinking behind that? Why does it feel tough? I think progressively every year gets tougher um, in society. And I think the bar gets raised and I think the challenges become uh, at times more frustrating and seemingly insurmountable. I also think that the transition from childhood to adulthood happens on its own time continuum whether or not you're ready for it or not. Yeah. And I think when you're at that age of like 20, that's when you realize, you know, there's, there's a fine line between mom make my dentist appointment and all of the other decisions you have to make in life that are grown up decisions that have consequences. So, um, and I suspect Chris and Rick, when we were that age, we had, more autonomy and made those decisions by ourselves, but those decisions probably weren't as consequential as the, the way they feel today. Mm. That our you kids know, have to make. Back to that age, because I graduated, I think uh, the year before you did, or the year after you did. Shows you what kind of math guy I. Look at the math. You don't <laughs> hurt yourself, Rick. I told you, no math in this show for you. Careful. Um, no mo, no mo, no math. <laughs> no math. <laughs> this is economics, because I want to ask you. Back in 1982, when I got out of college, and then you guys got out in 83, I don't remember, other than parents saying to me, oh, this is the worst economy ever. Kids my age, 21, 22-year-olds, trying to find a job while coming out of undergrad at the time, it was so difficult. But I got to be honest with you, in retrospect, looking back, I don't remember how bad it was in 1981 or 1982 or 1983 economically. Can you? Uh... No, I, I, I can, and I'll give you a couple of uh, anecdotes. One is I majored in accounting in undergrad because a friend of mine who I'm still friends with uh, to this day, who was five years older than me, graduated, uh, ended up going to the same school I went to. It was called Bentley College. It's now Bentley University in Waltham, Massachusetts. And when he graduated from college, he was making $14,500. And so when that was in 1978, so I was a junior in high school at the time, that literally was a million dollars to me. That was like a, a million dollars, but it was a terrible economy. Um, it was not the same terrible economy as the one we have today. And um, we can do an economics podcast if you want, and I can explain the differences, but getting a job, Rick, was hard. And I majored in accounting because it was one of the few careers where if you graduated with a degree in accounting, you could always get a job. Mm-hmm. And so I was practical in the in in high school, and I chose a major that would lead to a career, and I was thoughtful enough. I don't think that kids today appreciate that because my kids' generation, which is Gen Z, the global financial crisis really didn't hit them like it hit the millennials, and they really saw nothing but prosperity as they um, started sort of figuring out what they would want to do. And now they're graduating from college in potentially a worse job market in some respects than the, the, the millennials who graduated post-financial crisis. I mean, this is potentially a, a worse job market because of all of the remote stuff. And like, you know, my kids had, one had an internship last summer that was remote. Another one had an internship that was canceled. They don't know about their internships this summer. Um, hopefully the vaccine will be 
everywhere and this will be behind us. But I do think that this is a really, really tough job market for graduating seniors, even from the best schools. And the fact that everything's remote, it just makes it so hard. And the reason why I say that is employers in a tough job market would run to schools to interview kids and recruit them. Now it's even easier because they don't have to get on an airplane and fly. But again, they can opt out and not be noticed that they opted out. And I think there's less employers going to schools looking for kids. And it's really terrible for the graduating seniors this year. No question about it. But overall, in, in the bigger picture, in the bigger scheme from generation to generation, I feel that this is probably, in a, in a larger sense, the first generation in a long time that may see just sort of flatlined uh, improvement from where they came, or maybe actually their ec- economic future as adults and the standards may be lower than the ones we provided for them. I, I see that happening more often. Like, where where's the ceiling on this? Think about it. Okay, my great-grandparents lived this way. Now, my grandparents lived that way, which was better than them. And then my parents lived better than them. And then I lived much better, and I provided a better life for my kids. Is there a point where that has to sort of flatline a little bit and, and, and reset itself? You know, the word I was going to use is the last one you used, Chris, which is reset. And in theory, there needs to be a reset. But if you look at recessions and their resetting powers as it relates to standards of living of the successful, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily reset. In fact, it often leads to more conspicuous consumption, believe it or not, (laughs) which is not a great standard for which to measure one's success. And I, I think that the way we work and how we work is going to change. If I were to name this period in time from a, like a societal perspective, I would call this the great acceleration because all we did was we took trends that previously existed and we hyper-accelerated them over in the last nine months. Well, it's like what we always say in media is there really are no new ideas, just recycled and retooled ideas. And I have to ask you, as somebody who got out of undergraduate in 1983 now. Do you miss the music of the 1980s? I, I do. Well, here, interestingly enough, I miss the music of the 80s uh, a little bit. I don't miss records. Okay. I don't miss cassettes. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that it's all on one device. I think that's great. But I've picked up country music in the last four years or so, wow. and I really, really like it. Because I feel as though we, the ballads of the rock and roll days, like a, a guy like a meatloaf who would have like a 10 minute song and it told a long story or something like that, or even Elton John and Funeral for a Friend, like songs like that just don't exist anymore in like the, the pop culture of music. So I like country songs because they're short, so they fit the, the format but they tell a story in four minutes. I I would argue that if you were to put a title underneath my name as a placeholder for anything, you could put storyteller underneath my name. And I like country music because the songs tell a story. I didn't like 80s music, like the the new wave stuff. I really didn't like that. I didn't really, I, I tolerated the grunge music and stuff, but country just seems to be uh, a place that in my middle age, 
I can uh-huh. find something. And if you have not been to Nashville, Tennessee, I strongly encourage you to go there for a hundred reasons. But even if you if you can't stomach country music and you spend a weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, you're going to come out at least having an appreciation for it. Nashville, I should say real quickly though, it's, and people think Nashville, it's only country music. You walk around those streets, you will hear every type of live music being performed. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Wait, I just There's a lot of rock and roll down there. Yeah. I want to jump in for one second and one up you, and that is I've actually been to Branson, Missouri. Yes. <laughs> well, have you been to Dollywood? Then you're then you're 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 legit if you've been I've not been to Dollywood. But I used to work at a country music radio station in New York many years ago. And and I wasn't a big country fan, but once I started working there, I I fell in love with country music. And nowadays I find myself listening to it on, dare I say, uh, satellite radio, because it's just enjoyable. I just don't what, know anybody anymore. Rick, what's your what, what's your station that you listen to on satellite radio for country? I think it's called the Highway. Highway, yeah, the Highway. Yeah, my um, wife is on yeah. one of those stations, so I try not to listen to her. If I. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. I'm not listening because my ex-wife. I'm not listening to any music. My ex-wife works at this station. Well, just because her voice was. There's like, a reason. Well, I don't yeah. really do country guys, but real quick, the other company. I, apparently, so you're both into country music. I just have not quite gotten there. I mean, I'm not totally uh, averse to it. But the other thing, both of you guys tried way back in another time in your lives was stand-up comedy, didn't you? Yes. Got a shot. Yep. What was and, that and, like? Uh, so funny thing, there was um, the new school in the early 80s had a class in stand-up comedy. And the guy who was the professor of the class was a stand-up comic named Scott Blakeman. Well, guess what? He's been a guest on our show three times. I can't believe So guess No, well, I, I, and I know he's been a guest on your show. Why I brought it up. That's crazy. I was in the, I was in the green room. Uh, at I-24, which is a, it's a news platform uh, mm-hmm. that, that used to have a lot of U.S.-based uh, broadcasting. Now they do it largely out of France and Israel. And I'm standing in the green room, and I'm looking at this dude. I'm like, I know you from someplace. I know you from someplace. We talked for like two minutes, and that turns out it's Scott Blakeman. So we exchanged cell phone numbers. We've been, that was a, a year ago. We've been talking ever since. And I saw that he was on your podcast. And I uh, so here's how I got friendly with Scott. Like he was the professor, right? He was a legitimate comedian. I had a car in the city and he lived, we both lived on the Upper West Side. So I would, after the class, I would drive him home and we would just talk in the car. And uh, he, I think somewhere along the line, he convinced me that stand-up comedy really was, I think he said, keep your day job. Uh, but, but you know what's interesting about stand-up comedy? And I'd love to hear, Rick, your story. I probably did last year, let's say 2019, 70 public speaking engagements a year. Wow. And that year of different sizes, shapes, and audiences, um, probably the biggest audience was over 3,000. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Like I'm on stage and I have PowerPoint and I have slides, but having that kind of an audience and making them laugh, like it's, it's intoxicating. And I hate this Zoom stuff. And I'm trying to figure out my voice in podcasts, but I hate Zoom presentations, which I've done many, because you have no audience feedback. So I'll find three people in the audience that I actually know well before I speak. Like I'll, I'll, I'll go through the attendee list and I'll make sure I know three people. 
and I'll text them and I'm like, please send me laughing emojis. Cause if I don't know if you're going to laugh at what I just said. Um, but uh, so did you take that same class with Scott, Rick? I actually did. And I took it on a dare from the woman who is now my wife who said, you're very funny. You should really be a stand-up comic. And this is from Valerie who dated a stand-up comic that she went to high school with who turned out to be pretty famous. His name was Paul Provenza. And, right. Yeah. 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 And so I said, well, if Paul can do it, then, then I should do it. And so I did do it for a while. And I decided that... I came from a radio background, and Chris knows this all too well. But if you can do stand-up comedy, you can do anything. And talk about public speaking, and exactly what you're doing, Mitch, is just, you know, it's just boiling it down to the essentials. It's you, a microphone, and hopefully some people that are paying close enough attention that they think you're funny or intelligent or whatever. But I also said that doing stand-up comedy was like being circumcised when you were 21. <laughs> well, it, or getting a colonoscopy without the propofol. Uh, the, the, that was probably a little bit more repulsive. The, what, what's interesting about public speaking versus stand-up comedy, and there's, there's two sides to that, which is you need to do, need, the skill of owning the audience as quick and as humanly possible mm. is, is, the, is the, the blessing that if you have it, you can do it. Right. But what's interesting about that, that's no different than what the three of us are doing, which is in this world of downloads and streams, uh, people need to get their audience real quick because they're not going to continue to listen. Absolutely. You know, but speaking of which, we're out of Zoom time coming up. So <laughs> I just want to say- By I mean, the way, you, you know, you could pay like 400 bucks and get yeah, more Zoom time. I don't have <laughs> People start sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, I'll gladly do that uh, as yours as well. But Mitch, I want to thank you so much for taking some time. My best to you, the family, the boys. We share the same birthday, by the way. Not the That's same right. Birthday, the and by the way, you know who else shares that birthday? Vera Gibbons. Vera Gibbons, my host. Yeah, my co-host on the NoPo podcast. I knew I liked her. That's awesome. But I, said I share my birthday with Derek Jeter. Uh, never mind. Ringo, Ringo Starr and Tom Hanks. That's I, like those two, I like those two better. But anyway... Thanks for stopping by. I hope yeah. to by again as uh, this is an ever-evolving thing in the world around us. And I always like your insight on things. So uh, again, appreciate it. My best to your family. Stay safe. Stay well. Have a great holiday. All right, bud? All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate great. it. Great to have you. Take care, Mitch. Derek Jeter, really, Rick? I mean, yeah. you're proud to say Derek. <laughs> I know. Now, it's a class act, but, but it is a Yankee after all. But, uh, <laughs> but that was pretty funny. I think Ringo Starr and Tom Hanks are certainly better people to have birthdays with. But uh, interesting stuff from Mitch. He's got a yeah. lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. And, and the Scott Blakeman stuff was just too funny. That was bizarre. And I have to honestly tell you, going in, I had asked that question only because, you know, and I've known uh, Mitch since the 80s, since 83, 84. And I remember that coming up in a conversation just about him trying stand-up comedy because he kind of has this dry sense of humor mm -hmm. and i had no clue in putting together what you went through back then when he started saying i took this course at the new school the I'm new like, school oh, right God, that's what you did and then he said that scott's name then he said Sc <laughs> yeah <laughs> see small world yeah small world and getting smaller as i like to say but uh, but but that was an, an interesting conversation, and we wish him well also on their no uh, no po podcast no po yeah. that's a 
that stands for. And yeah, I'd like to have him back. He's he was really interesting and uh, he's a bright um, guy, uh, an articulate guy, and always yeah. seems to have his finger on the pulse of a lot of things going on. And there are a lot of things going on. So uh, what are we looking at at this point? Uh, you know, the old remember the old days. How many shopping days till Christmas? Do they? Do we still doing that? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't hear anybody speak of that anymore, but uh, well, it's getting closer. I think lists may be a little shorter this year and gifts may be a little smaller for some, but that's not what it's about anyway. It's really just about the spirit of the holiday and hopefully we can all find some collective uh, reason to, you know, sort of feel that spirit again. I guess the spirit of hope. That's what we need. Indeed. Spirit of hope. Spread the word. But in the meantime, uh, any last thoughts? No, it's... uh... The clock is ticking. I haven't been into a store to do Christmas shopping, which suits me just fine. Bought and finally put up some Christmas lights, but that's about it. Yeah, I've had that. We put the tree up, and actually, we're you know we were talking about this. Uh, might be going a little more overload this year, just for the sake of creating some kind of childlike fantasy in my own. Yeah, it's, it's, it's artificial, but it's yeah, uh, right. Did you get a real tree, or a, do you have a? No, I had, this year was a, was the fake. I I prefer real trees to be honest. But yeah, uh, me too. You know, this year is kind of weird, and this is the first full Christmas season we're spending in this place. And I don't know. You, when I had a house, it was without a doubt we'd get a real Christmas tree, and that was right. almost part of the event. You know, we'd go with the kids, and we'd get right. a tree. And and in an apartment in Manhattan, it's kind of tough. You buy a tree usually off the sidewalk somewhere, and you got to figure out how to get in your car and park. And <laughs> it's, it's a typical New York story. It's like, it's not the thing. It's the effort to get to the thing that becomes the, the problem yeah. and the deterrent. But, uh, so. but it's, a, it's a beautiful tree. I hope you check it out on, on my Facebook page. It is there. I um, think I did see a picture. Uh, yeah. Because you showed me a picture of your mom's tree. Yes, I, I put up my mom's tree, which I refer to as the dart. Yeah, it's very narrow. <laughs> <The> dart. <laughs> it's one of those corner trees. It's still it's still fun. It's all in the spirit. It was kind of nice to spend some time. I, I like that's almost become an annual thing now with my mother. I kind of I go over there and spend a few hours. We put up the tree, and uh, you know, it's just good memories and and good times. That's you're that's a good kid. Thing. You're a good son. I'm okay, but despite what that, despite what every despite everybody, what everybody else says. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have uh, Tula wave goodbye to you. People can't see this, but her Bye, ears Tula. I see her ears flopping in the breeze. Well, she is a dachshund after all. But uh, wish everybody well, stay safe, and uh, sunshine always. And be good, feel good. We'll see you next week. Woof! Woof. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, preferably five stars, no begging. Uh, We're available also on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.